Good morning. It was mostly good. Good morning. morning. Just want to make sure. I'm going to start off on a good on a good note, not like on a sleeping note. Um, I don't know about you, but as I as I drove in, it was uh, or drove down from my house. I live on the north side of town here. It was very foggy all the way, and I could like stare directly at the sun through the fog and. It was just like this lightly glowing ball. And so I'm glad that it's out now. Can we get an amen for that? And it's like burning off the, the fog in our world. Um, again, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us. And our goal as we gather is to, to lift up the name of Jesus. To, to sit under his word, the teaching of the word given to us here in the scriptures in the Bible. That we might be encouraged and equipped up by the Holy Spirit. And in just a few minutes be sent out from here. You don't stay here. That would be weird. No, we're glad you you go out from here to all the places where you live and work and go to school and have connections with your neighbors. And and we do this, we gather together as a redeemed people who we've come from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of places into one family. We are loved deeply by God. We call God our good father because of what Jesus has done for us. Where people saved by Jesus, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and sent as missionaries, whether you know it or not, to a world out there filled with people, some of whom know Jesus, many of whom do not. So it's that that we want to welcome you here this morning. We're starting a new series um, titled What We Believe. As we begin a new school year and move into a new season as a church, it seemed like a good idea to dig into some of the things we believe, some of the core beliefs, the values, the convictions we hold as a church, and get at the heart of who we are. Many of these things that tie us together uh, with the church universal, they're things that the church has believed from the time that Jesus instituted it. And and, uh, so some of those core convictions have been consistent anchors generation after generation after generation for the church. And some of our our values and convictions reflect the specific ways we feel called to express these timeless truths that we share. Some of the topics we're going to cover is the the Bible itself. We'll, We'll cover it today. The Word of God and how we view it. The centrality of the gospel of Jesus. The message and work of Jesus Christ as the center of all that we say and believe and do. The, uh, that God is triune, that he is Father, Son, and, and Spirit. Um, uh, what, what we believe about how people are saved, how people are sanctified and transformed, and how they're sent as missionaries. Um, we'll talk about how we approach the Lord's Supper, communion in greater detail, and baptism, and why we do those things. How we approach evangelism and eschatology, which is the study of the end of things, the end of time, and the eternal life to come. Now, we're not going to cover all these things and others in in excruciating detail, to which some people say amen. But we want to put down markers, if you will, little flags in the ground to say, this is part of who we are. This is where we've come from. This is what we believe. And as we open up the scriptures each week, here's how the Bible itself informs that belief. So my hope is in a, in a, a metaphorical way, and maybe you'll do this tangibly, I don't know, but in a metaphorical way, there'll be tabs in your Bible that correspond to the things that you believe, the things that we believe, so we know where they come from and, and where to find them. If I'm like, how does that work again? Oh yeah, here's where God shows himself to be triune. 
or here's what the scripture has to say about itself. So as we work through this series that you have your own uh, notes, you have your own tabs in your Bible to go, oh yeah, this is where this comes from. And why we're starting here in the first week with the scriptures, what we believe about this is because what we believe about this informs everything else we'll talk about. Because this is our source. The Word of God shows up uh, in two places in our foundational documents as a church. So for those of you who are like policy people, you like forms and structure, you're really going to get a kick out of this. For those of you who are like, did you just say policy? Bear with me. Um, where we talk about the Word primarily in two areas of our, of our foundational documents are in our statement of core values and in our statement of faith. Those will be on the screen. I just want you to see them. One of our core values as a church is the Word of God. We hold the Word of God, the Bible, as our ultimate authority in all matters of life. We believe in teaching it when we gather as a large group, wrestling over it in small group community, and integrating it into the everyday. It's one of our core values as a church. And in our statement of beliefs, under our specific doctrinal statements, where we outline a number of them, this is what we have to say about the Word of God. We believe that the, the Bible is the Word of God, fully inspired and without error in its original manuscripts, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it, is the, it has the supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Now, underneath those two statements, if you're going to our website or if you want, I can literally send you a PDF this afternoon of our statement of beliefs if you really want to read it in detail and look at the footnotes. But under each, under each of these statements are a series of scripture passages that outline and inform. Why did we write that that way? Why did we say it that way? And we're going to look at just one of those texts this morning. So this is where you can turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to slip your hand up and uh, our strike team, who's been patient through my entire introduction, will bring you a Bible if you need one to look, a, a, a look on um, one your, yourself. And as you, and as you uh, are turning there to 2 Timothy chapter 3, let me give you a little context. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. This is the second letter we have to young Timothy. He's a, he's a young pastor. Uh, Paul developed him and, in a sense, left him behind to, to continue to pastor and to shepherd and to lead, grow, other, grow up other leaders in the church so that the church would multiply and grow. And Paul is at the end of his life, writing from prison, knowing his time now on this earth is very short. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him because life is hard and ministry is hard. And he wants Timothy to know what are the few things you need, Timothy, that will help you be uh, faithful that will help your walk and your life to, to, to persevere, that you'll sustain till the end, that you won't just like burn out or die. And one of the anchors Paul gives to Timothy is right here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. It'll be on the screen as well. But let's read this together, the word of the Lord for us, to mor- uh, for us today, this morning, from 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, speaking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
verse 16. All Scripture is uh, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. May God's Spirit work in our hearts to build us up according to His Word. Our big idea this morning is that we believe the Scriptures are God-breathed. There's lots we could talk about about the Bible, about what the Scriptures say about themselves. But the one we're going to highlight this morning is that the Scriptures are God-breathed. That the Bible we have translated into even our own language is indeed the Word of God. That the Scriptures are given from God Himself through human agents. I just said Paul was the one who wrote this down, right? That the Scriptures are given from God through human agents inspired by the Spirit of God to record God's perfectly intended revelation of Himself and His purposes to us. That's what we mean when we say the Scriptures are God-breathed. And if the Bible is God-breathed, then it is, as Paul says to Timothy, then it is profitable It is useful, it's valuable for for teaching us, and is sufficient to give us what we need to be equipped to play our part in God's story of redemption. So if the Bible is indeed God-breathed, that means that it is is profitable and it is sufficient. If the Bible is indeed God-breathed, then it is profitable and it is sufficient. So what do we mean when we say the Bible is God-breathed? This is our first kind of anchor point into what we believe about the Bible this morning. Perhaps you've heard the word inspired when the Bible is talked about. But when we think about inspiration, we often conceive of inspiration from our perspective, right? For the artistic people in the room, whether you're a painter or a musician or writer, inspiration is that light bulb, right? You wake up with a cold sweat in the middle of the night like, oh, I've got to write that down. Don't want to forget that. The lyrics to that song kind of came out of nowhere. I was inspired. And some of you non-artistic people, you more technically minded folks in the room, you might not talk about it this way, but it is that, it is that aha moment when you see the connection between two things you've been looking at for, for maybe days and you're like, there it is. I see it. I solved the problem. Light bulb. Like, that's how we often talk about inspiration. It just comes to you. But when we talk about the scriptures being inspired, we, I think we mean that a little bit differently. We believe, and here's the big technical term, in something called verbal plenary inspiration. And I know I'm going to get docked points for even bringing that up this morning, but that's, that's, the, that's the big academic phrase, which boiled down means that God spoke, if you will, God spoke, verbal, through men and women who spoke and wrote down what we have in the Old and New Testament. They didn't go into some kind of trance to write down what they heard. God used the voice and the personality and the experience of the one speaking or writing to convey the exact message that God desired to communicate to his people at a place in time and by the Spirit preserved for the larger body of Christ for all time, which is why we have this in the first place. Luke, for example, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is actually really nice when it just tells you who wrote that. This is Luke's Gospel. Thanks. 
Luke wrote uh, Luke's gospel, and he also wrote uh, down the book of Acts. And we don't have Luke's like shopping list for the market. But if we did, we wouldn't call that inspired scripture, probably, just because Luke wrote it down. Paul was a tent maker. If we had a, a copy of his blueprints for a good, solid tent, we wouldn't likely count that as God's word. It's not so much the inspired person, but the inspired word preserved and passed down. That's why the focus Paul gives is on this phrase, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Uh, Think about it this way. Um, Inspire uh, shares the same prefix in English with inhale. So just if you would, humor me, breathe in for a second. Right? You're taking in. Now exhale. Right? You're breathing out. Science 101. Breathe in. Or maybe that health class 101. Breathe out. And maybe you've heard when speaking about death, the phrase that someone has breathed their last. It has that same connection to the idea of expiring, right? They've breathed out, and they will not breathe back in again. So the emphasis isn't primarily on the human recipient who is inspired, that they breathe in, if you will, but on God who speaks. It's God-breathed. We could almost rephrase it this way, that all Scripture is God-spired. If God was the prefix to inspiration, in or out. I just made that up. But this is important, I think, because it tells us how we're to receive God's Word given to us in the Scriptures. If, if this Bible were absent, any real human interaction, a language we couldn't understand or disconnected entirely from our human experience, it wouldn't be worth as much to us. What good would it be if we didn't understand it at all? But if it was only a product of human instrument, if this was only merely human interaction and not God-breathed, why would it be any more significant than any other thing that humanity has ever created? It would be no more significant than any other book or painting or a chair that someone might build. It would have no other significance. But it's not either or. God, in his divine wisdom, has chosen to express his divine will speaking through human instruments. And we can't separate these two aspects of the scriptures as the word of God. We just can't. And in our current cultural context, it's, it's uh, popular to look at parts of the Bible, both Old Testament and even some New Testament preaching, and, and argue, well, that what we have in the Bible is either overly influenced by a particular ancient culture with their own cultural norms and, and customs, or it's overly influenced by a particular interpretation of the writers themselves. Like, Paul's got an issue, and you can just clearly see that in his writing. So what ends up, the argument ends up being, what we don't actually have is the word of God, but we have a culturally bound interpretation of maybe God's word. Thus, the Bible might contain the word of God, but it isn't itself the word of God in all of its parts. The problem there is then who gets to choose which parts are culturally bound and which parts are authoritative today? You might ask, well, what about the obscure Old Testament laws? Do they they apply anymore? 
I might actually be wearing a shirt that is a cotton polyester blend. Am I in trouble? There are complex complex parts of the scriptures, and we do well to study them, to wrestle with them, to understand them in their context. And along with the Holy Spirit, who is given to believers to be our teacher and our helper, there are many tools at our disposal to help us with context, to help us with understanding, not the least of which is the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, so that we might understand and interpret the various genres of the Bible. But if we hold to the idea that the Bible isn't holy God's word, that, that if, we don't, if we don't hold to the idea that when the Bible speaks, God speaks, we allow ourselves to pick and choose the parts that we like and don't like. And at that point, I have to ask, why bother? Augustine was a North African bishop, uh, died in 439 AD. One of the most significant early church fathers And this quote is attributed to him. If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. And I think it applies to the Scriptures on the whole. If you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel you believe, but yourself. In fact, Peter argues that what we have in Scripture doesn't come from man's will or imagination, but from God himself. In 2 Peter chapter 1, um, I, think there's a, I think there's a slide for this one, Ben. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, uh, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture come from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says that. Peter says, no, no, nothing we have that we consider from God, the the prophets, the law, the scriptures, comes from man's own interpretation. We didn't just make this up. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how Peter talks about it. God is the source of the scriptures, and all that we have in the Bible is God-breathed. That's what we mean when we say breathed out by God, that the scriptures are inspired, that they're God-breathed. And if the Bible is God-breathed, that also means it is profitable and sufficient. These are the words Paul uses. And so profitable is, is the second anchor about what we believe when it comes to the Bible. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's useful It's beneficial. Specifically, Paul says it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, there are a couple ways to look at this verse. One is to look at these four words, teaching, reproof, correction, and training, as four distinct things for which the Scripture is useful. And that's not a bad way to look at it. Another way to read it is to read Paul's phrase, useful for teaching, and then read the other three words, reproof, correction, and training, kind of through that lens. I think either are fine. I prefer the second. It helps me frame it in my head a little better. And here's why. In verse 14, Paul is urging Timothy to continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You've learned and grown already. So keep going in that. And remember, it is this God-breathed word that is the most helpful, the most useful to continue to teach you and to teach others. I stole this simple diagram from uh, John Piper, Desiring God. 
which I found helpful. So I stole it, and I'm giving it to you. The teaching we have in the scriptures comes to people who are fallen and lost. That's us. And going in the wrong direction. And the word of God comes to us and says, stop. It reproves us. That's what that word means. It, it says, hold on. You're on the wrong path. This now is the truth. Stops us on our path. That's what the word of God does first. It reproves us. We're confronted in our fallen condition and we're shown where we're wrong. But it doesn't just stop by saying, hey, Jake, stop being an idiot. You're wrong. It turns me around. It turns us around and says, and there's a better way. There's a better way. It corrects us. The course you've been on is this way. It leads to destruction. And the word stops us there and says, this leads you to destruction. And then the word says, I'm going to teach you, this is actually God's way. And it corrects our path. This is a better way. And then the scriptures tell us to walk according to them. Now, here's what it looks like to walk in this way. And it's training us in righteousness. It's part of how the scriptures teach us, how the word of God teaches us. This is why I found this particularly helpful. So let me ask, when, when, when we approach the Bible, when you approach the Bible, when, when the truth comes out and kind of hits you in the face, do, do we let it reprove and correct and train us? Do you? Or do we seek to correct it? We call the scriptures into question and be like, I don't know if that... I mean, did Paul really mean that? Is that really for today... I don't really like the way that sounds. That's not, you know, culturally sensitive. Does the word correct us or do we judge the Bible according to our filters and rules? Which has more weight? The word as it stands or human wisdom? And, and friends, ultimately we will land on one of those two positions. We might say we're somewhere in the middle, but we will ultimately land on one of those two positions. The word of God as it stands or on human wisdom. And Paul tells Timothy to continue in the truth of the word. Don't trust in human wisdom or cultural progress or conforming to spo- social norms. It's the word of God that speaks to us in our sin and stops us in our tracks. It's the word of God that corrects our thinking, corrects our interpretations of our circumstances. It's the word of God that instructs us and trains us to walk in righteousness so that we may be complete and equipped, verse 17 says, for every good work. The Bible, the word of God is God-breathed. The Bible is profitable and useful to teach us and equip us. And the Bible is sufficient. It's our third anchor point, if you will. Now, the word sufficient isn't in this text. It's, it, it, you won't find that exact word here. But I think it's a helpful word for us that gathers together a couple things that we actually do see in the text. Basically, we're saying the Bible's enough. First, in verse 15, look at verse 15. He says, And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy, you've, you've read this. You, you've read the Law and the Prophets. You know how all of the Old Testament that you have in your hands, all the writings, all the scrolls, you know how all those things point to Jesus. 
Because you believe in Him. And Paul says, they have the power to make you wise for salvation. To give us understanding of salvation through faith in Jesus. The Word illuminated by the Holy Spirit is sufficient. It's enough to bring us to saving knowledge of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. And look at verse 17. So that, verse 17, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The, the phrasing here, this man of God, that phrase you actually see a lot in, in the Old Testament reference. It basically was uh, laid out for those who were prophets or messengers of God. One being used of God as a minister and a messenger. You'll find similar phrases all over the place in the scriptures, but it applies here to Timothy, and it applies to you and me who would follow after Timothy's example. All who are disciples of Jesus, we share in this ministry of the gospel. I've already said it two or three times today. You've heard Charlie say it uh, a dozen times. We're sending you out here in just a few minutes as missionaries. That's who you are as followers of Jesus when you leave here in just a few minutes. And Paul says that this word is to train you so that you might have what you need for all that God might put in front of you for every good work. If I could shorten up this sentence, I would maybe read it like this. The Bible is a sufficient teacher so that the people of God might be built up and equipped for good work. The Bible contains what's necessary, not only to bring us from lost to found, amen, to save us, but to grow us and to train us that we might mature and grow and have the tools for faithful and fruitful lives. That's why we keep coming back to this over and over and over again. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, a little earlier in that same chapter, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His his precious and very promises, so that we, and through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. This idea, how do we gain knowledge of him who called us into his glory? How do we know the great promises granted to us? How do we know anything about who God has revealed himself to be, or who Jesus himself is, but through what he's revealed to us in his word? We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Now, does that mean if I go to the Word, if I go to the Bible looking for the phrase, godly use of the internet, I'm going to find it? No. I can't find that exact reference. But the Scriptures have a lot to say about the life of the mind and about taking my thoughts captive and about pursuing holiness and righteousness and fleeing from temptation, right? Setting my mind on things that are above. Will I find a seven-step plan for a healthy relationship, whether that's a friendship or a marriage? No. But the Bible has a lot to say about humble service to one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, to not let the sun go down on our anger, but to deal with issues while today is still today, and on and on and on. Jesus himself, the Word of God made flesh, the Word incarnate, in John 17, Jesus prays, as part of this long prayer in John 17, he prays this. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So I want to invite you this morning to consider some of the circumstances in your life. Big things, small things. And let me challenge you to look here at this book to see if God might have something to say. Maybe about the circumstances specifically. There might be something in here about the way you're interacting with your spouse or a neighbor or a family member where you need the Spirit of God through the Word to train your heart to be servant-hearted and humble as opposed to prideful and defensive. Maybe there's some wisdom you need about what you're supposed to do with your finances because you don't have enough. Or if you're honest, maybe you have more than you expected and you're going, okay, God, what does faithful stewardship look like? I think God has something to say about those circumstances in here. But maybe it's not the circumstances specifically. Maybe what you need to go to the Word for even this week, these big and small things, has to do with what's going on in your heart. Your own posture towards God, toward a brother or sister. Where does the Word of God speak to your situation? And looking here as our first source, I'm going to go here first. God, what do you have to say to me about who I am, who you are, what's my relationship in this situation with these people in these places? Rather than kind of coming to the scriptures at the end, like, well, I've tried everything else. I've read all these books. I've watched all the TED Talks. I've done all the things. I still don't know why this problem isn't solved. Maybe I'll open my Bible. Let me look at the index and see what it has to say about brothers. Right? Let's get those flipped around. Where does the Word of God speak to your situation? And where is the Word of God speaking to your sanctification, to your own growth as a disciple of Jesus? See, there's a number of other aspects to what we believe about the Bible. And some of these are going to feel more like teaching and less preaching. And our, our responsibility is to preach the Word from in this case, 2 Timothy, while at the same time instructing and teaching, here's who we are and and how we got there. Because there's lots of things we could cover about the Bible. We could highlight that we believe the Bible is inerrant, which means without error. And we could mean what we say when we say that. And we're happy to talk about that. I'm sure there's going to be many weeks in this series that are going to prompt questions that are going to mean lots of coffee meetings for Devin and I. Sorry, you signed up for that. We're okay with that. And it'll be lots of good conversations in your community groups wrestling over these things. And we're okay with that. We want that. We, we could talk about why we use the version of the Bible that we do. We could talk about it's the ESV, by the way, is the one we, we use here, just in case you're curious, which could lead to a discussion about the original languages and the Hebrew and the Greek and translation uh, approaches and all that kind of stuff. We could talk about that. We're, we're not going to today. And some of you said amen, but we could. We could talk about how the canon, the 66 books that make up the Old and New Testament, came to be as one larger book and the history of that. We could talk more about the different parts of the genres of Scripture and how we read an Old Testament prophet or an Old Testament history book different than we might the Psalms or the Proverbs, more poetic or wisdom literature. We could talk more in depth as to the authority of Scripture and the Reformation doctrine of sola scriptura. Not that the Bible is the, the only authority that exists, but it is the ultimate authority of any other authority. So any other authority that we have is subservient to 
that authority. There's, there's lots of things we could talk about when we talk about the Bible. But we wanted to start here and highlight this. That we believe that God's word, the Bible, is God-breathed and is good for us. As, we're, as we work through this series, we're also going to highlight some of the resources to build in some of these categories for you. So again, shameless plug. Uh, we'll, we'll try to we'll post it on our Facebook wall, so follow that. But also sign up for our, our Monday morning update. It's not just announcements. We're going to put resources that follow along. Everything from like easy, easy readable articles to like deeper theology nerd books that maybe you want to buy on some of these things. But, but the hope is to continue to build and grow. So, so stay tuned for that. Go sign up for that. Click on the thing on the website. Put your email in there. It's one email a week. That's it. We will not sell your information to someone to call you about your car's warranty or anything like that. It's just one email a week. You're getting those phone calls too, or is that just me? Right? But we wanted to start here so that we understand very clearly that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. It's because if this isn't God's word then there are a lot more questions about what the heck we are doing here on a Sunday. This is a really stupid hobby, to quote Matt Chandler. It's a stupid hobby. But if this is God's word, if it has something to say to us and do in us so that we might be effective in the mission of God in the world, then that's altogether something different. If it is God's word for us, then these scriptures become a foundation for each of us upon which we can build. And it's a, it's a doorway, if you will, into the truths about who God is. You want to know God? You want to know who you are? Get a clear picture of your identity? We go here. And so we pray along with Jesus, sanctify us in the truth, because your word is truth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that prayer, that you would sanctify us, grow us in the truth. Your word is truth. Even this morning, uh, Father, with these big and small things, would you be merciful by your Holy Spirit and, and lead us and teach us through your word to the things that we need to speak into our circumstances and to speak into our own hearts and our own growth. Continue to grow in us a desire, a hunger for the, for the Bible, for the Scriptures. And we plead with you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. Be our teacher. That we might be built up and that we might be equipped for all that you'd put in front of us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.